Greetings and salutations, and welcome to the Future of Law, Good Lawyers podcast series dedicated to exploring what is and what could be when it comes to the business of law and how we as lawyers can improve access to legal services for everyone. Each week, we interview thought leaders in the legal profession on how lawyers can evolve with the times and ultimately live more fulfilled lives. Our guest today is Dr. Jacqueline Walsh a lawyer, professor, and the director of the Initial Technology and Innovation Law Clinic at the Schulich School of Law at Dalhousie University. Jackie has been practicing corporate and intellectual property law and working directly with small technology startups for over 20 years. Our conversation centers around Jackie's journey from big law to running the Initial Law Clinic, which helps Nova Scotia-based technology startups get the early stage legal information they need to properly set up their venture, all while giving law students an opportunity to gain practical experience by acting and advising in innovation and startup matters. We also discuss the important differences between corporate and startup lawyers, and Jackie gives a great roadmap for any lawyers looking to jump into the entrepreneurial space. While Good Lawyers Reach is not that big in Atlantic Canada at the moment, don't worry, we are coming. I would highly encourage any of you Dow Law students to get involved with Initio. It will be some of the best training you can get and will put you well ahead of many others in terms of your understanding of corporate and startup law matters. It was a pleasure having Jackie on the show, and we wish her nothing but success with the Initio Law Clinic. All right, that's it for me. Please enjoy today's conversation with Dr. Jackie Walsh. Jackie, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for coming on. Well, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, as I was mentioning to you before we started the conversation, you've been on my radar for quite some time and the work that you're doing at the Dalhousie University and in particular with your Initio Law Clinic, which obviously we're going to get into quite a bit here. But I think just to start off, I'd love just to get a little bit of an introduction from yourself. Who are you? What do you do? How did you go from being a lawyer into obviously being a professor and having a big part in getting this law clinic going? Yeah, interesting. Most people don't ask me about my background, so I'll tell you all about it. It's a twisty, turny kind of road to where I am, which is all part of the journey. I started out with a psychology degree and uh, thought, now what am I going to do? And uh, didn't really have any passion for anything. So I said, I'll go to law school. Can't say it was a burning desire. My mother was a court reporter and uh, she would always come home with amazing stories and had a little bit of interest in it. And I like to learn. So I thought whether or not I ever practice is a great degree. It'll be a good experience. And what it was, it was a lot of fun. Then I started practicing and uh, you never know where the world's going to take you. Corporate law was my lowest mark. Didn't come with a commerce degree. So I wasn't expecting to walk into the corporate law field, but my excellent mentor, I'll give him a shout out, John Green, took me under his wing and he was a very seasoned corporate lawyer and had five amazing years learning from him, which I would never trade, even though I didn't enjoy the kind of bigger <laughs> practice of law. I, I felt I sold my soul many days to clients. So then in the middle of all that, I was doing a big deal and uh, for one of our companies and I was in Calgary in the old days in a war room, which everything's digital today, but I was sitting in there doing due diligence. And I remember calling back to the office and um, telling, well, in this closet says this and this closet says that. And the (laughs) client says, Jackie, I don't care what any of that. Should I buy this company? And I thought, 
wow, what a perspective I don't have. I don't know if you should buy the company. So I, I decided to get an MBA. So then I did that part-time while I was still working. Then I went in-house because I got a particular interest in intellectual property and did a lot of free things because there wasn't a lot of IP happening in Newfoundland, where, which is where I was practicing. And uh, so we do a lot of uh, educational things, a lot of seminars, you know, IP back in the day when IP was almost like a taboo word because no one knew what it was. And then I, uh, because I had a little bit of IP knowledge back then, and I wanted to get a private practice because I was never good at the work-life balance, not something <laughs> I, I was ever good at. So I went in-house with a startup firm who was looking for a lawyer. And um, so I spent uh, the next eight years working with a bunch of different startups as in-house counsel, which is an amazing perspective. Most of them didn't succeed, but from my perspective, it was all good learning. And then I, uh, for personal reasons, uh, moved. And um, because I had such an interest in uh, entrepreneurship from my years as in-house counsel, where you don't just sit there and be a lawyer. You know, I, I did everything from putting toilet paper in the bathroom to um, <laughs> having to deal with distress when the, the landlord came to take all of our uh, source code away. You know, so there's, it's, it's the whole gamut of laid off. I became known as the hatchet lady. I laid off over a hundred people, mm. you know, just experience that you just, it's invaluable, but I like teaching. I started teaching in the business school, teaching law in the business school uh, in St. John's and really enjoyed that. And so I had a whole gamut of different experiences and I'm almost to how I got to. Uh, to <laughs> no, this is great. This is great. You <laughs> <laughs> asked the question. So then uh, I moved to Nova Scotia for personal reasons, and I was on sabbatical. I had just gotten my tenure at Memorial, and um, I was starting my sabbatical, and I saw a job ad at Dalhousie, and it was, come and help us start a clinic for wow. teach students and startups. And it, people would call me and say, did you help write that job ad? Because that's you. That job ad was written just for you. And I really had no intention, but I couldn't pass it up because it was just such an amazing opportunity to put all my all my skills to good use. And that's how it happened. Oh, that's incredible. That's quite an eclectic journey. I, I feel that your psychology background probably served you very well in the startup world because and as a lawyer, obviously, uh, the joke oftentimes. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure of it. That's incredible. So I, a couple of points just to touch on there. You mentioned you weren't a huge fan of big law. What? And that's a kind of a reoccurring theme maybe of this show. I, I started in big law myself. I certainly know the burnout and the, the high demand that oftentimes those firms will put on lawyers and young lawyers. What was your experience there? And you said something very poignant that you felt like you were selling your soul to the clients on many days. What was it about that experience that uh, gave you that type of impression? Very simply, and I, I won't blame it all on the profession, you know, and things have changed a lot, or at least I hope they have. I wasn't good at no. So I wasn't good at saying I don't have time to do that. And uh, just a lot of the client demands, because if the client says on a Friday, I want this for Monday, yeah. Yeah, but it's Friday. Uh, well, I used to joke to, you know, this is 25 years ago now, Matt. I used to joke to my mentor. I would say, well, no one's going to ask me on a date besides the guy at the law library because he's the only person I ever see. So I, I just never had any life. You know, it was yep. it was off going and I didn't want that. But again, I have to say what I learned from doing that 
besides about myself, but those five years, I was a sponge and I soaked up so much information and I was taught by a great person how to draft and client yes. relationships and clients expectations. And I was just, an, it really was the foundation for all the things that I'm able to do. Um, but it was, it was tough. Absolutely. I think a lot of people had that similar experience. And that's one thing I do encourage law students or young lawyers, no matter where they're at, to absorb as much as possible, especially at those big law opportunities, because you do get great training, even if it's, it comes in difficult packages sometimes, but there's certainly lots to be gleaned there. And then, you know, you mentioned working at startups yourself, which uh, I'm obviously going through <laughs> presently and learning <laughs> all about that roller coaster. I'm just curious how you found that, you know, you mentioned that you were wearing many hats, everything from doing day-to-day tasks around the uh, office to uh, having to make some of the most difficult decisions and fire people, which I fortunately have not had to do yet, but that could very well come at, at any point. How did you, did you enjoy your time working at startups? Was that exciting? Because I know it can be a very pressure-filled environment, much like a law firm in many, in many cases. Um, it was certainly a very different experience than in a law firm. It, it was a better work-life balance for me. And every, off, off the places I worked, they were all very different. But for the most part, I was more in control of my time. It was great that I didn't have to know everything. If I didn't know something, I could reach out to our to our counsel, to the law firms. I quite enjoyed that part. Although there wasn't a lot of money, so you had to do most of it yourself. I enjoyed learning how companies work, especially startups, because it's a very unique. Right. A very unique. And the first line of my PhD is a startup is not a small, big company. It's not just a small version of a big company. It's a completely different beast. And I really enjoyed that perspective. And again, I think that helps me with what I do now. So yes, there were were pressure points because the startups start to do bad. Most of the ones that, like I said, I worked for didn't survive. And uh, that's tough, you know, and lawyers are the first to go because we're a luxury in those small firms, which is uh, just totally understandable. But yeah, it was it was difficult at times, especially when we started doing a lot of overseas work. So you're working all night long because that's, you know, we're born global. So you're you're all over the world. And we had a big client in one of my firms over in Asia. And so we were we would I'd be up all night on my phone. So, yeah, it was, you know, good and bad. Again, you learn so much. It's incredible. Of course. I think what you just said there was bang on. And I actually hadn't thought of it in that term because I have worked in traditional companies before. And you're right. A startup is completely different. Like the whole focus is different. And just the, like the whole premise for being, you know, it's tough to find parallels because you grow differently. You, you're looking for different types of talent and, and having to work all together. And it's, yeah, yeah that's a great way of putting it, which we're going to I actually into. didn't make that up. I got that from something. So I'm going to oh, take credit for it. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'll start think, the meme. <laughs> I think Steve Blank, who I think I took that okay. from, probably very uncomfortable with that. So I'm going to get you. The, uh, I'm going to get you who actually said that. <laughs> okay, sounds good. And and you are an IP lawyer, so I'm not going to argue with you. <laughs> but so let's get back to the the law clinic in issue. So tell me, what was the premise behind this? Whose idea was it? How does it work? And, and then let's pick up where you left off there. You saw this job opening, decided, hey, this was for you. It sounds like you left a tenured position, which is the gold standard. <laughs> that I can't imagine that would have been easy, but I'd love to just see how those first few, I guess, months played out for you. 
Yeah, so it was a, it was a challenge that I decided to take on and I don't regret one bit of it. I have to give a huge shout out to uh, Dean Camille Cameron. As far as I understand, because I had no, I can't take credit for the concept. I got hired to do, to put it together. But I think it was the understanding of the need for space for startups to kind of grow and, and get some good legal advice without all the barriers, cost being one of the main ones. And I think a lot of it was based on, there's a lot of research coming out in recent years about IP knowledge and startups and how we were, and startups were just really lacking in that area. It was too expensive for them to learn it. So I think the concept came about from a whole bunch of different areas and, and the growing space ecosystem in Nova Scotia. And I think the law school really wanted to be part of it. And I give her a lot of credit for that because that, that took a lot of, uh, a lot of foresight. So I answered the ad and um, the beautiful thing for me was that it was a blank slate. This is, this is what we want to do. This is who we want to serve. Here's the money. What are you going to do with it? That was probably the most exciting piece for me because I could use my lean startup knowledge and I could use right. my strategy knowledge and I could use my working with startups. And it was, I don't know, it was just a really fun year trying to put it all together. Well, it sounds very much like a startup. Is that how you approached it? Was it essentially the same thing? Exactly. And that's exactly what I called it. So the first thing I did was get out of the building. I went and spoke to people and what would you <laughs> like to see? Where do we fit in? What are the gaps? You know, you're making those initial connections. I'm going with my MVP saying, here's what I'd like to do. What do you think? And it changed. I pivoted. I see it's exactly what you would do as a startup, the way it all came about. Right. So I think when I started going out to the community, I thought we would be at a higher level of sophistication for the client. I didn't know that the law firms in the local area were already servicing kind of like the I've been around for a couple of years. So we started really early stage, like to the point I have an idea. I'm not incorporated. I don't know what to do with my idea. That's where right. we ended up filling the space. And it's been extremely rewarding and uh, it's a perfect space to be in. Amazing. So Nova Scotia works really well. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of, you're leading me into my next question is like, who is this for and how does it work? I'd love to get some details on that. So I look at it kind of a three prong. First of all, it helps the students because they're getting an amazing educational experience. Secondly, it helps the client because they're getting good legal services for low cost, but it's more than that. And, and I hope I can get into that a little bit more. And third, the ecosystem, the community, the economic development. So, you know, it kind of all comes together and um, none of that would work if it wasn't a client centered firm. And I think that's what separates what we do from a lot of the other models that I've seen around. Just to expand on that a bit. And before I did my pitch for my vision, I did a lot of research on startup clinics. And the research showed that one of the big kind of tensions within a law school is who does the clinic serve, the client or the student? Mm. And can you do both? So my argument is if we're not serving the client, then the student's not getting good experience. Right. And I know Absolutely. the client's not getting good experience. So it's a very client-centered firm. And that's how the students learn how to go out and, and serve clients by having demands. And, you know, instead of saying to a client, well, we'll take you this semester from September to October, and that's all we can do for you because that's the semester the students have clinic. And that might work, but that's not, that's not, wasn't the vision for the clinic. 
So we're a practicing law firm. We're registered with the Nova Scotia Barrister Association. You know, we have all the requirements of any other law firm. And as clients come first and the students learn to work around the client expectations. And so it, it really works better. The model is meant to break down barriers that, uh, you know, value proposition, just like you, you will have done in your startup and any startup. So what, what's the value proposition? So it's low cost. It's convenient. We do all of our meetings online, which in the tech startup, they don't want to find parking at the university and try to come in and see us. Largely the intimidation factor, which I think a lot of mm-hmm. startups don't know. Absolutely. Is they don't know what they don't know. So they are right. very intimidated to go speak to a, a lawyer. So I work really hard breaking down those barriers so people feel comfortable speaking to us. So that's kind of the approach that went into the, the business model for it. Having said all that, none of it would work uh, if I had to make money from the start. Right. So, so let's let's be honest. It's because of the amazing donation that we got from our donor, Stuart McKelvey, to get us started. Because I get paid a good salary and I wouldn't have it any other way. And people who go to law school expect to make a good salary. And, you know, so we should. But I don't have to worry about bringing in money to help right. startups. And that, I mean, that's just a, that's just a blessing. That's not, that's not the real world. No kidding. So I'm curious, you must have a lot of startups applying to be a part of this. What's the selection process like? Because I'm sure you have a laundry list to choose from because this this sounds amazing. Obviously, a very approachable way to get what otherwise could be very expensive services and then done also under sort of the umbrella of Dalhousie University as well as all the sponsors that you just mentioned and everything else. So how do you how does that selection process work? So again, with the concept of breaking down barriers, I try not to put too many parameters in place, but we have to have some. So the vision was to help the tech startup community because of the IP focus. So we do turn away startups who aren't in that space. We use a very loose term for technology. We try to help as many people as we can. Right now it has to be Nova Scotia because my students are only allowed to practice in Nova Scotia. The other criteria is you can't have made more than $200,000 in uh, revenue or in private investments. So I don't include uh, government funding because there's so much government money and it gets used for a lot of reasons. The idea behind that is we're an access firm. We provide access to legal services that startups otherwise couldn't have. So once they reach the $200,000 mark, and that's an arbitrary number, who knows what the number should be. We tell them they've graduated and they have to go pay money for a law firm. And it's interesting because when when they leave, I have to like say, okay, you're spoiled in the clinic, right? So this is not the real world you're going to go out into. Your lawyer is not going to answer five emails from you trying to find an answer to a question. They might answer it, but you can expect a $400, $500 bill every time they answer a question. So just... You're spoiled here. Take it for what it was. Appreciate it. And now move on and 
and mature <laughs> along with your business. <laughs> it's like when you're pushing a teenager out of their home or something when uh, when it's time to go to college. That's, uh, that's right. really funny. That's really funny. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, and absolutely. You mentioned kind of the low cost aspect and it may be a bit of the, the hesitancy you have around that, which I, I can, I think I may understand some of those, but you can uh, elaborate on. But certainly I can understand why maybe these uh, startups would be reluctant to leave. Like again, laws, as you mentioned before, can be a bit intimidating, can be a bit, it, like you said, they don't know what you don't know. And so even to find the, the right lawyer that can help you sometimes is a, an extensive process in and of itself, something that we're obviously here trying to help solve a good lawyer as well. But do you find that the low cost nature of your, which I saw your rates are incredible. <laughs> do you find the low cost nature of this? Does that attract the wrong type of client sometimes? Or do, how do you how do you manage that aspect of it? Yeah, so you know, that was also a, a big decision that took a lot of thinking uh, because the expectation, maybe that's a strong word, but I think people assumed it will be free. Right, but, yes. Right? Because clinics are generally free, but I was very much against the free nature of the clinics yes. because I don't, I, my strongest belief is that we're not helping startups figure out how to budget, how to plan, how to value legal services if we just do all this stuff for free. But I didn't, I, it wasn't about making money. We don't, we make a little bit of money and we pour it back into the clinic so we can offer a new service. So if we get to talk about the new service we have coming up, I'd love to. But anyway, we, we'll see if we get there. So I do, we, they do pay the $100, just so your audience knows, it's $100 per service or $100 per month if you sign up for 12 months. Um, I think it weeds out people who really are generally not that serious because even $100 is sure. money so that was a way to make sure ser only serious people came to talk to us because you know there's a lot of that and uh, I just thought people could give back so the, the little bit of money that we're, we're helping you out majorly I, I do believe we offer a fantastic service that you can give back and we can put the money into maybe getting an extra article in student some year or you know a new initiative that we might that we might try absolutely so that was kind of the rationale for doing it that way and no question, that was a mistake we made early on with Good Lawyers. We positioned ourselves a little bit too much on the cost effectiveness side. And don't get me wrong, that is certainly one of our mandates that we want to make sure that you're getting great value for your dollar. However, that free and that expectation of free is is the killer. And, and to, hard to point, go off from free. Exactly. <laughs> and, and it, you know, it, it, we found ourselves spending a lot of our time simply explaining the value of legal services to our clients instead of them actually getting them. So we had to move away from that and say, hey, no, this is a high, great value but you are still having to pay money for these great services. So I, I certainly understand that debate of exactly where to fall on that scale is tough to find it precisely, but uh, an important one. So I, I'd love to kind of switch it back here a little bit to the experience that your students are getting, because I think that's an incredible one. As I was saying to you before the show, I'm actually jealous that something like this didn't exist in my time. I was fortunate enough to take an entrepreneurial law class in my third year, which is sort of like, blew me away because I wasn't fine. I'm like, I don't want to do any of this. I, and I, I came to law school much in the same way as you did. I, this wasn't like a lifelong ambition. I was like, I don't know what else to do. Med school seems too long. <laughs> I guess I'll do law, you know, kind of one of those things. And so I was trying to find my niche 
and corporate law and everything else. It was great, but it wasn't really grabbing me. But once the, that entrepreneurial sort of uh, option became available, I was like, oh my God, that is really exciting. That's what, what I want to pursue. But we did, that was it. Like, you know, there was one course that was amazing. Don't get me wrong, but I didn't have this type of a clinic where you could actually learn how to practice and come out of school almost mm -hmm. as an operational lawyer. Uh, just tell me a bit about that. That must be so exciting for you. Like you can hear my voice even getting uh, a little excited just, just talking about that possibility. Yeah, it's exciting. And, and I'm excited because the student feedback is very positive. It's a great experience. I don't look at it so much as teaching students how to be startup lawyers, although they certainly, some of them express an interest. The skills they learn will guide them no matter what area they pursue. Now, I, I do think I get the interest from students who are interested in corporate law, if not startup law. I don't think they come into it even understanding startup law. Uh, but what makes our clientele so perfect is that it's a very patient clientele. Mm -hmm. So the match is, is amazing. And the dynamic that the students and I, we create with the startup company. So it's a very patient, wonderful place because the students and this is one of the things they like best about it they get to sit in on all the client meetings i never have a client meeting where i don't have my article student and a third year student which they don't get mm -hmm. and they spend a lot of listening because they don't let them speak very often but they <laughs> learn how to deal with clients how to set expectations how to deal with difficult people like they're just every day they're soaking up so much we don't deal with emergencies very much. The startup world is not really about, I need this tomorrow, like my, in my big corporate life used to be. Right. And so students have time to go work on it, learn, ask questions, come back, give them feedback. They go back again. So we have about a two-week turnaround time for all of our clients. Now, that might still seem like a really short turnaround time compared to yeah. some <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> but it has to be timely, right? It has to be that's timely right. or otherwise that's not, that's not a very good value proposition. But there's time to, to sort it out and get it right. And the students love that kind of – it's a very safe place to learn. And they love how appreciative the clients are. So they're not, they're, we do not have demanding clients. If we do, I actually don't take them because I don't need to. And that's not the experience I want. Again, I, I'm privileged because I can turn clients away. Now, I generally don't try to, don't get me the wrong way. But, you know, I try to teach the students that you don't have to deal with people that are they're not treating you with respect. You know, part of the new world of law, you don't need to take it. Well, and that's certainly something that is not taught at, at the bigger law firms anyway. You know, you are essentially there to follow orders and it's very difficult to say no because you're not supposed to and so that's amazing that you're building that in because I didn't have that coming up that's something that and that was part of the burnout that I experienced at, the, at a big firm is that you can't say no to your partners you can't say no to your clients you can't say no really to anyone until I don't, I'm not exactly sure when you're allowed to say no but apparently it happens eventually <laughs> well, uh, get to a point in your career where saying no becomes much easier I wasn't good at the well, no part Startups um, teach you that, don't they? They do, because there are limitations. And sometimes you don't like to say no, but there are times when you have to, and you have to have the assertiveness to do that. And I like the client seeing when it doesn't happen often, but if a, if a client disrespects me or the clinic, we've had just a couple little moments, the students here that I don't, I don't put up with it. And I think it's good for them. I think it's great for them to see that. You know, Absolutely. I'm all about respect, but it's mutual. 
That's amazing. Yeah, no, that I doesn't think... happen a lot. I don't want you walking away thinking that I'm. Uh, no, 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 no. Absolutely. Clients are so appreciative. It's it's beautiful, yeah. and they it, love much... students. Totally. I mean, how can you not love a program like that? Obviously, I'm biased, but even with Good Lawyer, you know, ninety nine percent of our clients are amazing to work with. But you get those occasional ones that uh, are either difficult and, and the tricky ones are the ones that are difficult, but don't know it because, uh, oh, yes. yeah, <laughs> but, or you get the people that are just blatantly rude and we've fired clients to your point. That's not a great outcome for us. That's not what we start with, but we also do know that, Hey, you know, sometimes this is more trouble than it's worth and this isn't the right place for it. And especially with students, I think that's commendable. Um, so I'm curious then, and this is one of the, the main questions I kind of had for you today is what's the difference between a corporate lawyer and a startup lawyer? Because this is becoming increasingly uh, obvious to me with the work that we do with entrepreneurs, but someone who's worked at startups, someone who's worked in corporate law, I think you have a perfect perspective, obviously too, with your clinic. Now, I would love just to hear the mindset because we do have a lot of students who listen to this show. What's, what's the difference between those two and, and what's the different mindset that they may have to bring to the table if they do want to be a startup lawyer? I love that question because it really, in my opinion, there really is a significant difference. Like anyone practicing law, you have to understand your audience. Right. And I, this is the very first day of my students in the clinic. We talk about who our client is. I tell them about startups. I tell them the characteristics of a startup. I tell them that you're going to talk to people who have an idea. They know nothing about the law. They don't even know they don't know anything about the law. They have no idea what they come here for. And a very large part of what we do, thankfully, again, the privilege of being able to do that. Most of what we do is educational and we don't charge for that. I will sit on the phone with the client for an hour. I don't have a clock running. It's, it's a beautiful experience for the client and the student, right? Because I can just sit there and, and talk to them about what it means to incorporate. And I'll answer all the questions you have. It's such a patient. Anyway, so that's the clinic. But in general, startup lawyers are generalists. I think people think that we somehow have this little corner of the world, but you kind of know a lot about everything, but only to a certain level of a company, right. if that makes sense. So it's broad, but not deep, or you, know, you get sure. what I'm saying. So I know a lot of little things. But once, because I've so specialized now in the startup world, so interesting, I'm a generalist, but a specialist. Once you start getting up into the, you know, your big series A, and B, I don't do that kind of stuff. So I would pass you on right away. But I can do the friends and family round and, and we can do the basic securities things and we, mm-hmm. we can do shareholders agreements and founders agreements, employment contracts. Like, so, you know, the practice is very broad. It is. But it's, it's also... It, it only goes to a certain level. You really need to understand business to be a startup lawyer, mm-hmm. in my opinion. And I have that conversation. You don't need to go to, to get an MBA. You don't, you know, it's great to have a commerce degree before you do it. I think you, you certainly learn a lot that way. Uh, but you have to be very intuitive about business and pick up a bit of business sense because the questions you get asked, startup companies can't separate law and business. Right. They're just trying to start a business. Right. And uh, so I spend as much time talking strategy and, and I don't even try it, but I get asked so many questions that it really helps to understand how businesses start and how they operate and that kind of thing. There are limits, of course, to what we can do. So I think a startup lawyer has no limitations. But uh, the biggest thing is the patience. It's really about patience. Yeah. 
I, that is such an amazing answer. Yeah. You yeah, have I, to love the teaching part of it because it's really a lot about that because they're coming in and they're looking at you. What do I do? So it's not your typical corporate client. Uh, and I, I don't think I could agree more with that that answer. And that's one of the things that we stress with the lawyers that work on the Good Lawyer platform is, look, it, it may be so obvious to you why the client needs an uh, independent contractor agreement or a shareholder agreement or whatever that is. It's like, obviously, we need this. But to them, this might be the first time they've ever even heard of that or or they've heard of it, but they don't understand what it is. So one of the things that we stress to them is that exactly what you're just saying, the education aspect of it and putting that in the frame of, like you said, of their business, because they're not going to make that distinction between the legal aspect and their business as a whole. It's like, how is this going to help them get to where they need to be, explain it to them, explain it to them, the value uh, of what you're doing and how this will help them get to their goals. And then also just, and with that education aspect, but then also you just have to be very open and clear with them. Here's what to expect. Here's what we're going to do and let them know put it in writing, say it again, like, you know, because oftentimes when things do go off the rails, it's amazing how many simple miscommunications can do it. And it's just like, again, as lawyers, sometimes you take for granted that what you say uh, is obviously under this context, or you're used to speaking with other lawyers, and then having to readjust that frame to be like, maybe they don't know. And, and obviously not in a uh, in a condescending way or anything, but let's just make sure we're on the same page here uh, as to what to expect, how the process goes, all of those things. So uh, definitely mm -hmm. a bit of a shift from working, like you said, when I was at a big firm working with corporate and more experienced clients without question. It's true. And the students see that. Again, the skills they're learning, I think, are very transferable. But if you go to our website, they write all the memos and they write it at a level for a startup company. And that is an invaluable skill to be able to write to your audience. So they're learning all the, the legal jargon and the theory in law school. But can you take that now and do your research and turn it into something useful right. for a startup? So uh, we do the first drafts of them are kind of really, gee, I can barely understand that. Can you go back and try to bring it down to another level? And it's, it's a beautiful Amazing. skill to have. Yeah. And uh, I bring my corporate lawyers in for PD sessions because we do different PD every week. And I have to say to my corporate lawyer friends, can you bring it down to another level? We're dealing with companies that have no money. So you, you can't start talking about all these tax breaks they're going to get. They don't even care about taxes right now. Can you bring it down to their level? So it's a different way of practicing. It really is. I think Absolutely. this is far more rewarding but, than the big corporate clients, personally. Mm -hmm. No question. I, I think many agree once they get into it. Uh, when you're speaking to your students and they say, hey, this is actually something I have an interest in and would like to pursue. You mentioned that being a startup lawyer is a sort of a broad, but maybe not quite as deep uh, area. And of course, there's different levels. Like there's lawyers who specialize in, you know, that series A, series B rounds sure. and do all the VC stuff and all of that as well. But for, I guess, if someone was going to go in-house at a, a startup or two, what skills would you recommend? Uh, obviously, you need your basic corporate, likely employment. What else would you recommend that they dig into and have at least a, a basic understanding to help that company through those first initial issues? First thing I say to students who say they're interested in getting into the startup space, I say, get your articles when you have to, to be a practicing lawyer. But spend a year, a couple of years, 
you know, doing everything you can to get your mind into that world. And I, I just think you can branch out too early. And I'm not sure you're adding mm-hmm. the greatest value to your client that way. That's my, that's my advice. As much as I didn't love my first five years of practice, I can't ever, no one can ever take from me the knowledge that I gained. Right. From that. It doesn't have to be five, but I do think that a bit of foundation is really valuable. A bit of business knowledge, it can't hurt. I don't know if you need a degree to do it, but you certainly need to be open to learning about business. And and Stuart McKelvey, our donor, talks a lot about the T-shaped lawyer. And uh, it's today, all lawyers, but especially in the startup world, in my opinion, you have to be technology focused. We didn't talk much about that, but in our clinic, we use all the latest technology in the legal tech, because I'm trying to get the students to understand that. So if you're out working with a startup, they're already halfway there. So you really need to be technical. And uh, we don't teach that a lot in law school, but I think it's critical. It's a huge part of the clinic. We use all the latest, greatest tools. And um, so that's really important. I think the psychology piece comes in. I think basic knowledge of corporations and how they work and what the directors do like this. There's a lot of, there's a lot you have to know a little bit about diversity and human rights. I mean, there's just so many things that you have to be so well-rounded to be a startup lawyer. I mean, again, it's not for the faint of heart. Right. Yeah, no question. That's a great answer and just gives a good idea of the scope. And I will also too, and I'm not sure if you've come across this resource and it's not in front of me, but it's a book by Bryce Tingle. He's a uh, professor out in at (laughs) University of Calgary. You know him well, I'm sure, but his book, I believe it's called Startups and Entrepreneurship Law in Canada or something like that. Fantastic resource for any- I could uh, put my finger on it if I had one minute. uh, Yeah, me too. It's it's right there. Yeah, exactly. And it's something that I still use day to day just to get context on how, and I'm not being paid, I promise. Uh, but it's just a fantastic book. I think that also gives a great overview for anybody out there interested. I was just thinking if, uh, so you must have done your degree at uh, U of Calgary. Actually, I went to U of A, but I had Bryce Tingle's protege teach me entrepreneurship law. Oh. So he brought in the book and that's how I kind of got connected with his, you know, area obviously and wrote the textbook so it seemed like a good guy to follow (laughs) but uh, and I guess my final question uh, and we can take this one of two ways Uh, I always ask our guests that if there's one one or two things that you could change about the legal profession what would those be now you mentioned before the lack of I guess technological tools being used by our our profession in general and we have been resistant to change and frankly if it's not broke why why fix it Uh, again this year COVID included, law firms have been more profitable this year than ever before. And it's a difficult argument, especially with the partnership model. Why am I going to be investing my money when I'm retiring in maybe, you know, five, six years into this new technology that frankly, I probably won't see the results of those bumps up. So, I mean, I would, I would love to just hear maybe your thoughts around that and how lawyers can better introduce tech. Because obviously, uh, from an access to justice issue to just uh, keeping costs under control to just sanity of lawyers. It's very important. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts there. Yeah, I can come at this from so many perspectives. Um, and I'll just preface by saying what I'm going to say is really more applicable to what the area that I, that, that I know, which is Atlantic Canada. The technology in the legal world is is extremely interesting. I hope I'm around for 15 more years to see what happens because I honestly think it's going to take that much time to see any real difference. 
I agree with you. If it's not broke, why fix it? There is very little uh, impetus for lawyers to really change the business model. I do think that law firms are using technology to be more efficient and to cut down on waste and to not hire as many junior lawyers. Right. But I'm not seeing, at least in my experience, that translating into lower costs or no billable hour. I'm not seeing that. I'm seeing the big firms taking advantage of technology to be more efficient, but I'm not seeing the rates go down. I'm not seeing it, at least in my perspective. And when I talk to clients, they say, oh, I'm so glad I found you. I just tried to get a law firm to help me with this. And it was going to be you know, $10,000 for a yep. shareholders agreement. The startup's not going to do that. Exactly. Or they wouldn't take me because I only had one issue and they, you know, they prefer the bigger clients. And I get all that. It's business. Yeah. But uh, I'm not seeing the translation from all the technology is going to help us lower our costs. Mm-hmm. I think you're probably seeing it at uh, in-house legal counsel saying, I'm not paying for that because I know now you can do that more efficiently. So I suspect at that level, the legal counsel is getting better service. Well, I don't know about better service, but more efficient service and not having huge bills because they can demand that. I still don't think the average client is seeing the benefit of it. That's my take on it. Well, I also think that the smaller firms are, are the real beneficiaries of, the, of technology. They're yes. just not the ones who have time to implement it. They're not the ones who have time to hire innovation teams. I really would love to see the shift of the smaller firm engaging more with technology because I do think they can offer lower costs and be more efficient. So my hope is that the more students that we send out there into the world with this kind of knowledge that you can use technology for good and you can use it to provide more efficient and more cost-effective legal services. I'd like to see the small firm kind of have a revival. And I know that's, that's what I think needs to change. And then when the large firms see that they have competition from the small firms and they have no choice, but it's not going to happen overnight and it's nope. not going to happen unless the, mar- the market says this is enough. And I'm not seeing it right now. Well, at Good Lawyer, these are some of the key issues that we're focusing on. But I think you said two things really interesting there. First off, the kind of bottom up pressure from law students being educated on what is available, then when they go and they have the choice between firms to work at, be like, do you have these technologies built in? And if not, why not? Because that might start saying, oh, for us to attract top talent, we need to start implementing some of these cost-saving features and make it easier for the lawyers to work, especially when you're, as you mentioned before, and I've been there slogging through document review or something like that, where you're like, can a machine not do this better? I probably would do it better because if you think I'm paying attention, exactly. If you think I'm paying attention past like the second thousand you know, page. Yeah. Right. And then the other thing is that technology allows these smaller firms to punch above their weight where before you couldn't do that. And now all of a sudden you're starting to see it. There's these exciting law firms emerging that are harnessing some of this technology to, and, and, and their expertise are bringing in expert lawyers, small firm, but they can use this technology to compete with some of the big firms, which you never saw before. So I think you're right that, that this will take a while, but we are starting to see what I, I would say are some hopeful signs that, that it will be forced to change eventually and, and hopefully for the better. 
Yeah, I totally agree. And we need to, as lawyers, I think we have an obligation to our communities and there's, you know, the statistics on the people unable to avail of legal services is, is, is embarrassing. It's absolutely embarrassing. Yeah. Well, look, this has been fantastic. Thank you very much for uh, giving us an overview of your very exciting initiative there at Dalhousie. Uh, fantastic law school as well. I wish you all the best and we'll certainly be following your progress. And obviously, if there's ever something that you think would be a good way to test, even with Goodler, we have an open door for you, of course. You know, it, it, there's different ways of, of trying these different models out, but I think we're all in it together to say, hey, how can we change this for the better? And uh, we love working with like-minded people like yourself so uh and i really just appreciate you taking the time today it was my pleasure i really enjoyed the conversation so thanks for having me if you enjoyed this episode be sure to check out goodlawyer.ca slash podcast where you'll find every episode along with the show notes and resources you can also sign up for Good Lawyer's newsletter that keeps you up to date on all the info and tools you need to turn your business into a rocket ship. Until next time, we hope you have a great week.